0: hey there it's Gary Parish it's Thursday September 8th and this is the Eye on College Basketball Podcast I got Matt Norlander with me and uh, there actually was some big huge recruiting news this week the consensus number one player in the class of 2017 DeAndre Ayton publicly committed to Arizona over offers uh, from Kentucky and Kansas now There aren't usually high-profile commitments that surprise uh, even recruiting analysts, but this one clearly did. How much of that, Norlanda, do you think was related to a home state advantage? Because for people who don't know, Aiton was born in the Bahamas, but he now attends high school in Arizona. Uh, How much do you think it was a home state advantage that helped Sean Miller get this done?
1: I got to think it was a primary factor because you don't have – a number one recruit overall in his class in basketball, or football, almost really ever. I mean, there's probably been instances I just can't remember. I was trying to think of it when I was writing the Aten Newser the other night. You usually have okay, it's probably going to be this school, but if it's not this school, then it'll, this other school will be the school. Like there's usually an obvious choice and then a backup. Usually schools that would fall you know three, four, five in the order of any given number one overall recruit aren't given much of a chance now. I understand that, and, know, and and to
0: your point. Um... If you'd have asked recruiting analysts on whatever afternoon this was, Tuesday afternoon, uh, they would have said probably Kansas, maybe Kentucky. Like, Arizona would have probably ranked third in terms of where do you think DeAndre Ayton's going to commit later on tonight.
1: Right. Um, Evan Daniels did tweet after the fact uh, that Arizona had gotten some momentum late. Um, Listen, when – basically this comes down to people talking to, uh, you know – uh, family members directly connected to the player, the coaching staff recruiting him. Uh, and the AU program associated with them; those are usually the three outlets that are going to have the legitimate or closest info on a recruit. And so usually, over and, the...
0: and and of course, the agent who probably has already yeah, had has, that's has been, also has, fair. has been involved with the kid for two years. <laughs> that's fair. Not to say that's not to say that specifically about yeah. DeAndre Ayton, but just typically, like, yes. that, that's not far-fetched.
1: Absolutely, I, I was going to l- kind of let that hang, but that's definitely a factor there as well. So that, it's, for no other reason than that, the the thing actually just intrigues me because uh, I don't mind a curveball every now and then. And the other funny aspect to this that I'm so glad you hit on when you wrote your column is I definitely, in the moment, I mean, I'll, t- I'll tell you right now, I, I pre wrote a, K- a Kentucky and I pre wrote a Kansas story <laughs> on Ayton. And, and then he pulls out this Arizona hat, and I'm like, you've got to be effing kidding me right now. Like, I cannot even believe this happened. So. With that, When that happened, I was kind of like, wow, Arizona, what an upset. This is crazy. And then like, just stop and think. It's like, actually, no. Sean Miller uh, kills it on the recruiting trail. He is an elite top three, top four. Really, you made the case he's a top two recorder, recruiter in college basketball, and you can bear out the stats here in a second. Um, so this is not some massive underdog upset by any means it's just within the framework of this specific recruitment and the fact that kansas had been the perceived leader for so so long and then whenever calipari gets involved you obviously don't want to discount him that's what you know briefly made this um this whole deal seem like it was uh, some huge upset but ultimately it's not necessarily that and i do think that ayton being based in Arizona clearly played a huge role in Sean Miller landing the first number one overall recruit in the program's history.
0: So, like, that's that's the way I began the column. Like, uh, yes, I was surprised because I figured it would be Kansas and if not, Kansas, Kentucky. But you take a step back, it, it's, it's, it's unsurprising that Sean Miller got a commitment from another five-star recruit because uh, this is what he's been doing. Literally better than anybody else in the country outside of John Calipari. So I went back. From 2011 to 2017, um, Kentucky has accepted commitments from 25 five-star prospects. And that is far and away
1: first place. That's, and by the way, like it's just become the norm, but that's absolutely insane. It like, is insane. I don't even think the ratio – like Bama dominates football recruiting. I don't even think Alabama is bringing – granted, we're talking different numbers here, GP, but I don't even think Saban is able to pull in – uh, the absolute top rated recruits at that kind of clip Calipari has absolutely redefined success in recruiting at that level. So
0: that's 25. And then you got to keep in mind, like Willie college Stein wasn't even a five-star recruit. Right. So like, sure. so okay. Kentucky's got 25 from 2011 to 2017, Arizona has 15. That's second most. It's 10 behind Kentucky, but second most in the country. And Duke has 14. Now, uh, let me put this in context a little bit. Um, I go from 2011 to 2017. Now, Duke so far doesn't have any commitments for, I mean, any five-star commitments from 2017, but they're going to get some. And Kentucky doesn't have any from 2017 yet, but they're going to get some. So these, these numbers will change. And by these numbers, I mean, Arizona is ahead of Duke right now in that list from 2011 to 2017. There's a decent chance by the time we get to, you know, signing day, um, Duke will, will be ahead of Arizona there. But either way, the top three are those three. Nobody else even has double digits, as far as I could tell. I researched Kansas, North Carolina, UCLA, um, all the other schools that you think might have a shot at being in there, and nobody else was in double digits. I want to say Kansas had like eight, but it is Kentucky, Arizona, Duke, the top three far and away. Now, uh, further context, though Kentucky is way ahead of everybody else from 2011 to 2017, if you go 2014, 15, 16 – like really the past three recruiting classes, it's basically recruit for recruit Kentucky and Duke. Uh, Mike Krzyzewski has closed that gap significantly. Uh, There was a time frame when nobody was recruiting at the level of John Calipari, nobody nobody in college basketball. Now Duke is recruiting at the level of Kentucky and John Calipari. Why is that? Um, I, I think the presence of uh, I, I think the staff that, that Kay now has in place, with all due respect to the staff he had in place before, because those guys have gone on to be head coaches. It's not like they dropped out of the business. You know, Chris is now at Northwestern and, and uh, Wojo is, is at Marquette. But I, I think Jeff Capel and, and John Shire specifically have brought some new energy into that staff. Um, I, I know people in basketball, obviously Capel's recruiting record speaks for itself, but people really have a high reputation, I mean, uh, a high opinion of John Shire. He has a really good reputation in the industry already. He's going to be a Division One head coach someday. And then the other thing, and I know Kay Flinch is at this, like he, he sort of pushes back on it, but like him being in, involved with USA Basketball to the extent that he is, like being the national team coach, like that matters. It is a massive recruiting advantage and I don't only mean because he has access to recruits at times in the calendar that other coaches don't although that is true because what he'll tell you is um, he doesn't exploit that the way maybe somebody else would in his position Um, he says he doesn't exploit that and I'll take him at his word but just simply being able to say I'm the guy in charge uh, and and like if you ever want to represent our country like even if you don't say it it's just sort of understood, do you really want to reject the guy who could someday determine if you get to go to the Olympics? Like, it, it, that's got to be in recruits' heads, in their parents' heads. It would be in my head. So I, I don't think it's a coincidence that K's um, rise within USA basketball, him, like, becoming on some level the most powerful guy in basketball. I, I, I don't think it's, it's uh, foolish to discount what that has helped how that has helped in recruiting in fact I believe it would be foolish to to pretend that it hasn't helped uh in, in recruiting but it, it, to back to the original point like Sean Miller at Arizona has is operating at an extremely high level you could you could reasonably say right now Kentucky and Duke are one and two in some order in terms of recruiting right now but Arizona's right there and Arizona has been right there for about six or seven years now
1: They have, and this will, in my opinion, Miller's got a really good shot here uh, this upcoming season. Then next season, Aiden will get to campus. You know, ideally, we can get touch on that if you want to. I know we've hit on it on the podcast previously, but we might as well do it again with his commitment. Um, Arizona will be good this year. Uh, I think Lori Markinen will end up being uh, a breakout player, a a name that. fans listening to the podcast might not be too familiar with i think he's got a good shot at being like a top 40 player in the sport so they'll have momentum heading into next season uh once Ayton gets there if he gets there he maintains you know he was asked on sports center uh by lindsey zarniak you know the questions about him bypassing college and just going uh immediately to the professional um ranks now there's there's some skepticism over if his a transcript will wind up clearing. Uh, let's also keep in mind here he's now got he's got time here to, I mean if he's really behind in that regard, um, he's got time to make up that uh, specifically if we're talking about eligibility at the academic level. He said he's college is absolutely a must. His family says he's got to go at the same time. There is a zero percent chance he'll be anything but a one and done kind of player. But I will remind people we I wrote a story on it in April. Uh, We talked about it on a podcast in April. The weird thing with Aiton is you almost never have a top five recruit in a given class simply not recruited by a big-time majority of top 10 to 15 programs. That was the case with Aiton because a lot of coaches were under the impression that college was not going to be in his future for a number of reasons. He maintains that isn't the case. And the other uh, interesting angle here, GP, is that – if he does wind up not playing in Arizona, and I, I'll i say right now that I think he will. I will say my projection and prediction is that he does play and he will be eligible. If he isn't, I'm not going to be shocked. Don't get me wrong. And if he doesn't, by the way, he'll become the third uh, five-star recruit over the past eight years to commit to Arizona and never wound up having played there because Brandon Jennings was the first. Right. And he ended up going pro. You had Terrence Ferguson, who would be a freshman. By the way, if Terrence Ferguson was on Arizona this upcoming season, they would be a national title contender, in my opinion. But he won't be there. And then if Ayton doesn't, Arizona will um, suddenly become the school with the reputation of landing these five star prospects who never wind up being on campus. But I do think Aiton will wind up playing a year for Miller.
0: Yeah, and um, you know, like I, I, when he says he d- that is the plan, and his family demands it. I, I again, I'll take him at his word. Um, I just know that there was a time when Kansas was the only school recruiting him, and it wasn't because he's not awesome. Because just so we're clear, this this kid is awesome. Like, he... Um, I love Michael Porter Jr. I, I I've seen them both a bunch. I think Aiden is clear, clearly, the number one player in the class. And just a special talent. He's not some seven-foot dude who is great around the rim and can step away from the basket. He's also great away from the basket. And yeah. the the thing I noticed, like, he shoots it This is the term I always use comfortably like he doesn't look awkward shooting from the perimeter. He looks like he's he looks comfortable and he's undeniably capable. He um, is a great passer. That's the one thing I picked up on this summer that I didn't recognize about him previously. He's a wonderful passer like great vision um, good enough. Grim protector. I mean, he's just a great prospect. Like I, like if somebody told me he was going to have a Hall of Fame career, I wouldn't surprise me at all. Like that, he very much checks those types of boxes. Um, so, so he is awesome. And yet, Kansas was the only school recruiting him for a little while. And the reason is because coaches thought, for one of two reasons, he just wasn't going to be a college basketball player. Either he was going to choose not to sit out the year, go overseas, do any what do anything other than play college basketball, or that. You know, for academic reasons, he wasn't going to be eligible to play college basketball. I always feel a little weird talking about a kid's academics. I mean, it's sort of part of the job. Like you know, this because you have to be, you have to meet certain requirements to play college basketball. So we're going to end up talking about this. Uh, We've done it for years, and we'll continue to do it for years. It, it always, I always feel a little weird talking about a seventeen-year-old's, you know, schoolwork. Um, But like, I mean, as long as we're leveling with each other, like Duke didn't recruit him. Because they just didn't think they'd ever, they didn't think he'd get him in school. You know, sure. like, like that's why Duke was never involved with DeAndre Ayton. Like, that's a fact. So, um, we'll see. I, you know, I, I'm not 100% sure that he's going to be in college. I'm not 75% sure he's going to be in college. Um, but if he says that's, that's what he would prefer to do at this moment, um, I believe him. And, and now we'll get to see. Um, if it actually unfolds that way, and if it doesn't, geez, poor Sean Miller for all the reasons you just stated. He just lost Terrence Ferguson. He could lose DeAndre Ayton. Um, but either way, they will be fine. They've been fine there for a while. So, when I wrote this column the other day, and I point out that you know from 2011 to 2017, five-star prospects: Kentucky 25, Arizona 15, Duke 14. People immediately started going. Uh, Arizona's got 15 five-star recruits. From 2011, 2017, and no Final Fours? Like, you know, at what at what point do people start talking about that? And on some level, I think it's unfair because, like, the college, the NCAA tournament's a single elimination tournament of 40-minute games. Sometimes you can just get unlucky. You know, sometimes you just get unlucky and it doesn't work out for you. Um, but that is certainly, like, hanging around Sean's neck a little bit. Like, he, I'll ask you, is he the best coach in America who's never been to a Final Four?
1: That's his reputation in the coaching fraternity. I would say that is the case. Uh he's also a coach that got plenty of votes for um the when we put out the question of, you know, who's best equipped and most likely coached to next go to the NBA. He wasn't a top vote getter, but I certainly had coaches mention his name. Um he has had connections with USA basketball as well. I think that is fair. He's gotten close. The program itself. I don't remember the stats. I, I tweet I remember the last time Arizona lost in the Elite Eight, I tweeted it out. But like their they have a losing record in the lead eight games, obviously because the program hasn't been back to the final four uh since what oh one I think so ever since then I think they've lost four lead eight games, maybe five, and the margin of of uh defeat is like two points overall It's crazy how close they get you know they had a they had that classic against Wisconsin a few years back um
0: and then didn't Sean also lose in overtime while at Xavier? Yes. In an yes. Elite Eight to Ohio I think State.
1: I think you're right about that. Um yeah, he he's gotten he's gotten plenty close. I will say he's got he's got a two year window here because when you know let's say Ayton gets there, if they don't get and the tournament is the tournament is so fickle. Um it really is. Like that's just the nature of it. Um and coaches understand that. But if he does not get to a Final Four by you know, March of 2018, then this will become a thing. It just will. um, Because at a certain point you're allowed so much uh, amount of recruiting success and regular season success. But if you aren't breaking through now, he is, his job won't be his job, but fans are not going to want to get rid of Sean Miller. In fact, they're probably, maybe four jobs in the country that Sean would leave Arizona for um, because he's made it into a really good job and there just aren't that many options out there that would uh, provide him with, you know, more money, better opportunity. They're out there, but I I can see a situation where Miller, if the cards fall right, um, in regard to coaching openings that do or don't open in timing, like he could become become a 20-year coach in Arizona and do well there and win multiple national championships. I think that is definitely something that, is possible but and it's funny how quickly those things can change you know give Bill Self the example because he wins the title in 08 um, if I maintain that Bill Self had not done that uh, and if Memphis hadn't been so bad at shooting free throws and Chalmers hadn't hit some crazy amazing all-time shot then I think Self carries around this you know perhaps unwarranted stigma but he's got the title so it's simply not there like I I can definitely see a scenario where even if they would continued to win all these big 12 titles at Kansas under yourself, If he you didn't have a national title, you would still have Kansas fans all over him because even now there are Kansas fans who feel like he is not quite doing as much. He should be making more final fours than he's made. But that's, you know, that that's modern college athletics and the unrealistic expectations of fan bases. Having said all that mm-hmm. Miller is, he's going to have rosters over the next two seasons that warrant making a final four Um, he's good enough. He's talented enough. He's going to have the talent there. So keep an eye on that. But in my opinion, yes, he carries the mantle right now of the best coach in the game that has not made a final weekend in college.
0: So I'm I'm looking at it now. Um, he did lose an elite eight game at Xavier. It wasn't to Ohio state. Um, let me look. I want to say UCLA. Do you remember that at all? I
1: don't. I don't Xavier made it against UCLA. No, yeah, I don't it, that.
0: We're talking 2008 NCAA tournament. So this is um, the year. This is the Memphis-Kansas year. Chalmers yeah. for the tie. And, uh, yeah, UCLA 76-57 okay. over Xavier. They were a three seed there. So Sean's now 0-4 in Elite Eight games. And, like, that, that's a pretty big number that, like, people – that's going to be a bullet point on your – you know, next time you're in a lead, like next time Arizona's in yes. a lead eight game, that's the bullet point CBS throws up on the screen, right? Uh, sure. Sean Miller is 0-4 in elite eight games, But I, I tend to look at it from the other side, which is he's gotten to four elite eight games. And I, I just remember Billy Donovan telling me this um, uh, one time in a conversation. He, Billy, obviously went to a championship game very early in his career. And he was recruited at a high level, but, un, you know, just it wasn't happening in an NCAA tournament. And for five straight years, Florida uh, made the NCAA tournament and didn't get out of the first weekend. They either lost in the round of 64 or the round of 32. Five straight years. And, like, Billy very much had a reputation of great recruiter, uh, but, like, can he get it done when, you know, even though he had already been to a championship game, it was like great recruiter, but can he get it done in the tournament? And then, you know, he he breaks through and and wins a championship, then wins another one. And I just remember Billy saying – I just knew that if I kept getting in the thing and kept knocking on the door, at some point the breaks go your way. And like in Florida's first national championship, uh, like the breaks went their way. Like I, I think Corey Brewer had to hit a weird shot against somebody early in the tournament to escape an upset. It just went, it just went their way. And then by the end of it, they were undeniably the best team in the country. Like they were awesome. And then next year preseason number one, they, they win the whole thing. But like, I just remember Billy saying, hey, I got knocked out five straight years in the first round or the second round, but I just figured just keep knocking on the door. Just keep knocking on the door, and eventually, like, you'll get where you're trying to get to. And I think that is – like, I would bet a whole bunch of money that that will be the case for Sean. Like, if you can get to four Elite Eight games, you know, by – you know, how old is he? He's not that old. He's 47.
1: I was going to ask – that's exactly what I would have guessed. I was going to say 47. So
0: you've been to four Elite Eight games by 47, and he's like right now – clearly got this thing operating at a high high level like why can't you get to four more by the age of 57 you know so like and eventually you just break through like he's got i would bet. i would bet a five paychecks that sean miller will coach in a final four someday that it hadn't happened yet isn't indicative of anything other than it just hadn't happened yet he'll get there um other coaches on that list because i was sort of brainstorming about this best coach to not make a final four
1: tony bennett Bennett would be probably one A to one B with Miller, yeah, and he's got. I mean, listen, I was I was sitting there in Chicago. My goodness, Virginia should have made a Final Four. That should have happened in March.
0: Um, some of the guys that I think would qualify as great coaches, but haven't gotten there yet. Some of it's just, uh, I think, because of the jobs they've had. Or uh, although, like Archie Miller got to a elite eight at Dayton,
1: but like and he's still young. I mean, Archie, and Mills he's still very young. Fine. Well, like yeah.
0: here's my thing with Arch, like um. And I'm not trying to push him out of Dayton, but, like, someday I assume Arch is going to be coaching at one of the top six or seven jobs in America. And that's what I would assume. And -hmm. when he gets there, you're going to be set up to maybe take runs at Final Fours. Um, Here's a good one that I think can, like, maybe get there, although I wouldn't necessarily bet on it. But he's uh, undeniably a great coach, and he hasn't been in a Final Four. Dana Altman.
1: Yeah, I think that that the heck heck. I mean, Oregon will still have a roster good enough this year where that he could break through. Right. Yes, Altman for sure. I would. My guess is, my guess. Trying to think right now. I'm guessing right now of every active coach in the game, Altman has more wins of any active coach to not get to the Final Four because he's up there. He's got he's got a lot of wins. So I think that he is uh, at the top of that list. I might be wrong. There might be an obvious candidate that i'm missing but i think he would be the answer to that um mark few she, yeah.
0: i mean mark few could have a hall of fame career and hadn't gone to a final four yet
1: i think he needs to get to a final four to get to the hall of fame i not that that not that that should be the the, the make or break but i have a feeling that will ultimately he's going to need to get to a final four with gonzaga to get to the hall i think one would do it because he's done he gets to the tournament every year
0: uh mark turgeon
1: Turgeon, yeah. I actually thought Turgeon was going to get Maryland to a Final Four within the first five, six years of his tenure. That's probably not going to happen, but he's good enough to get there. Mike Bray? Yeah, Bray, I'm not convinced will get there. Now, Bray's awesome um, and has done a good job with Notre Dame. They actually had a long run of not having success in the tournament after having solid uh, seasons. Uh, Bray, uh, I'll say no. Not that he can't or won't, but I, if you're just, you know, if we're saying yes or no, I'll say Bray has a really good career at Notre Dame, which will basically wind up being second to Digger Phelps because Digger did so uh, well in the 70s there. But I'll say Bray has a really awesome career and it <laughs> makes a habit. He's the only former Shashevsky assistant to beat Mike more than once, and he's done it like three or four times now. But I do not think that uh, he will get to a Final Four.
0: There's a handful of guys who. Like, you, you think of them as great coaches, but they might not just have the jobs. Now, now, while, listen, I preface everything I'm saying by you can get to the Final Four from anywhere. You know, obviously, VCU, George yeah. Mason, uh, a Butler, um, you know, Georgia Tech went there under Paul Hewitt. So, like, yes, I know you can get there from anywhere. But it's certainly uh, advantageous. It's easier to get there from, like, Arizona than it is to get there from, uh, say, Virginia Tech. And so, like, Buzz Williams... Bruce Pearl, uh, I see what you're saying. Frank Martin, those are guys yeah. who are considered like really high level coaches, but they just might not have the jobs that allow them to uh, consistently give them realistic chances to get there. I guess that's the best way to put it. Uh, you know, like like Mark Turgeon, Sean Miller, Tony Bennett, Dana Altman, Mark Few. I think those guys have the type of jobs that they're going to be able to consistently put themselves in a position to realistically hope to get to a final four i don't know that buzz at virginia tech or bruce at auburn or frank at south carolina has that same caliber of job
1: i think that's pretty accurate now the question is you know jamie dixon at
0: tcu same type of deal can you do it? Yeah. I mean, I know you I know you can do it. You can have this one team that just comes together, but like Turgeon's gonna have a team every other year that's that's looks like it could maybe get there. Sean's gonna have a team probably every year that looks like it's gonna get there. Bennett's gonna have a team, it looks like every year that looks like it could get there. I don't know if you can get to that kind of place at those other schools.
1: I think that's fair, and it's just a matter of how much success those get now, Jamie, you could see Jamie just it's his alma mater, and if he, you know TC is good enough over the course of a 10 to 14 year span. Jamie might just do that and retire. That wouldn't necessarily surprise me. But with the other guys, you know, Buzz, I, I definitely don't think Virginia Tech is the last stop for Buzz, not by any chance. Um, Frank at South Carolina, Um, I don't know. I actually am not sure uh, if that would be the case. Bruce, I don't think his last coaching stop will be at Auburn personally. Um, so it's a matter of how much success they have to get to a higher job where it might be a little easier to uh to get there consistently
0: some other guys I was just I actually like did a list this morning of like guys who haven't been to the final four but like you you could see them like they're good enough to get there uh Mick Cronin uh yeah um Chris Mack Matt Painter uh Kevin Stallings um I know Vanderbilt fans hate that one but like yeah I like Stallings is respected in the business he like he is um I could see him just clicking at one year uh brad underwood you know obviously he's an, his records at stephen f austin is unbelievable he has resources in a big 12 school now i could see him getting there someday but there's a long list of like really high caliber college basketball coaches guys who are going to make millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars who have never been to a, a final four and then uh, on the other side there's a list of like some guys who have gotten to final fours that you go like how did how did that happen but like, yeah. I, that's sort of the nature of a single elimination uh, basketball tournament of 40-minute uh, games. We mentioned uh, about the Hall of Fame in terms of does Mark Few need to get to a Final Four to, to get to a Hall of Fame? I think you're probably right. It, it would be helpful. Obviously be helpful. I think it might be the the difference between him getting there and not getting there. Um, uh, but we can use that to, to segue into you know the, the Hall of Fame induction is this weekend. Uh, and Tom Izzo the Michigan State head coach is going to be inducted uh the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame is interesting because um they induct uh college basketball coaches often who are still coaching college basketball um active guys right now John Calipari's in Rick Pitino is in Mike Šefsky's in Roy Williams is in uh and 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 Tom Izzo is going to be the next active guy uh, to be inducted into the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame, that's going to come Friday night. Gary Williams is going to uh, induct him, and and what I love about Tom's induction is that his his career achievements are are the reason he's in the Hall of Fame. Obviously, but most people's stories when you start talking to him about Tom Izzo, they don't really talk about the national championship that much or the Final Fours. Like they get to those, um, but people just have nice and great personal Tom Izzo stories. Um, you know, among my least favorite cliches. And you hear it all the time, is uh, so and so is a great coach, but he's an even better person, or so and so is a great player, but he's an even better person.
1: And people, I know GP, I know you hate it, and hate people, it. Use it all, people use it all the time, all the time. And I just, and, I just think
0: from like a, a, logically speaking, like Tom Izzo is one of the greatest college basketball, like forget college, one of the greatest basketball coaches on the planet. Like, let's like, is it, is he top five? Is he top 10? Is he top 20? I, like what? I'll let anybody do their rankings, but he's one of the 20 best basketball coaches on the planet. That seems like a reasonable, safe uh, label uh, for him to be one of the, an even better person. He'd have to be one of the top 20 humans on the planet. That doesn't make any sense to me. I like, I, I think he's a great human, uh, right. but like, is he a top 20 human on the planet? I can't say that. I just can't, I can't I, go there. Cause I like, I got to put him up against my grandmother. And I don't, I don't like, I mean, I like Tom, but the I hope, yeah, you know, got to put him up against the Pope. You know, I'm just not, I'm not comfortable. I'm uncomfortable doing that. And so, uh, so it's just, it's always such a, I roll my eyes every time I hear it. Oh, he's a great coach, but an even better person. No, no, no. He's a great coach and like a good person or yeah. a great coach and a great person. But like, no, he's not. If you're talking about a hall of fame caliber coach, there's no way that guy's a better person than he is a coach. Stop saying it. Jesus, stop saying that. So, uh, but but I, I do feel comfortable saying this. Like, Tom is a is a great coach who is a person up. Like, seemingly everybody really likes and respects, and that's that's a pretty cool thing. If you ever reach a point where you are undeniably awesome professionally, and also uh, by and large, and I only like hesitate to say universally because like I can I don't want to speak for everybody, but like it's hard to find somebody in college basketball who is more respected and well liked than Tom Izzo. Like, those are, like, like people always say when you're lying on your deathbed. Like, when you're lying on your deathbed, that's got to be a pretty, well, I mean, it's, it's got to be a pretty terrible feeling, like you're about to die. It would be awful, right? <laughs> but, but but like, if you can put that aside for a moment, the idea that you've lived a life where you've been awesome professionally and really well-liked personally, that like that's pretty good, right?
1: It is. Now, Izzo, what, what's so great about him is he has, he is a... He is definitely the old school mold, okay now he's not Bob Knight old school and Woody Hayes old school but um like every season there are a few shots throughout a season where cameras will catch Izzo just losing his mind on a player, but it comes from such a place of love, passion, and frustration that you can't help but like when you see Izzo like absolutely like blow a gasket like there's there's a mild like comical aspect to it not like it's not like brian kelly like when like it'll happen with brian kelly and it's interesting how we frame coaches in different ways um but like you'll see brian kelly like turn purple like a freaking oompa loompa on his players multiple times if you watch notre dame throughout a season and we don't react to that the same way we do with izzo when like he'll sometimes like he'll grab a player's jersey and give him just like six seconds of what in the ever living hell are you doing out there and then they know it's I can't quite explain how he's been able to do this but I do think it comes from a genuine place I think Izzo's a great guy his players absolutely love and respect him he also he can be um he can be harsh and he can discipline and he's kicked guys out of his program and he's definitely had he'll tell you he's he screwed up on a couple of occasions in recruiting the wrong kind of guy. Sometimes um, he's self-deprecating, and I think that a lot of the, that is what builds up um, Izzo's image and legacy. And then, of course, you know he is. We talk about going to the tournament and waiting on breaks. Izzo is the one, really. Izzo, and not even Shostakovsky not that immune to it. Like Izzo, just has an ability to. If you look at the statistics, I think five thirty-eight did this a few years back. But in terms of seed expectation, it's not that Izzo's made all these Final Fours. Like He's made more Final Fours over the past 18 years than anyone. It's not just that. It's that when they get to the tournament, if MSU is a 3 or a 4 or a, or in a rare year, a 6 or a 7, they outperform their seed expectation more than any other program. So that also kind of builds up his legacy overall. So he is uh, – he. listen, he's he's definitely – in my opinion, a top five coach in the sport. Um, I'm personally selfishly glad that he never went to the NBA because I, I love covering him, love dealing with them. Um, he shoots pretty straight um, and is a fantastic guy. And by the way, he's the only college basketball figure, I guess, of serious, of living figure of note, because here's the real quick GP. Here's the hall of fame class for people that might not know it. There are four posthumous inductees. Uh, John McClendon was an NIA college coach and won like three titles so he is a college basketball affiliated figure who's getting in this year but he's posthumous and then uh three other people i gotta be honest i don't know who these people are uh they're zelmo Beatty. You, you're, you're familiar with zelmo gp uh, do, i'm
0: very yeah? familiar with elmo i
1: i don't know no, zelmo daryl Garrettson, and cumberland posey you don't get a lot of cumberland names yeah, i wish that, man
0: if we did like i wonder why, why there wasn't a big uh, zelmo's world campaign
1: yeah, Zelmo is. That's. I mean, there's some da, da, serious da, names da, da, here. Da, da. <laughs> Zelmo's world. <laughs> but the the headline. There would have been
0: if he'd have played in the era of Twitter. There would have been hashtag Zelmo's world every weekend, guaranteed.
1: Without a doubt. I mean, Zelmo Beatty spent most of his career in the ABA. Put up 17.1 points and 10.9 boards. You you don't mess with Zelmo. Um, but Izzo is overshadowed this year, uh, by Shaq and and Allen Iverson, who are both getting in. Yao Ming, who is getting in. And then the other two, Cheryl Swoops, uh, you know, clearly one of the best uh, female basketball players of all time, rightfully getting in. And Jerry Reinsdorf, uh, who was, you know, the owner of the Bulls and a, and a big figure uh, in the heyday of the Jordan era. So there are a lot of big names getting in. And Izzo, who's this huge name in college basketball, I mean, I would say he is third probably behind Shaq and Iverson. Now, Yao Ming's a bigger figure on worldwide. so sure. You could really, make the case that Izzo is really fourth. But uh, on home soil... I would say Izzo is a, uh, is a bigger factor uh, than, all, than, uh, than Ming. But no, man, it's, uh, this always sticks up on me, by the way, GP. Like I always want to – first of all, this is going to sound ridiculous, but it's true, and I'm not proud of it. So I live in southwest Connecticut. I am two hours from the Basketball Hall of Fame. I have driven past the Basketball Hall of Fame without exaggeration at least 20 times in my life. And I have never been to the Basketball Hall of Fame. You don't love basketball. It is just – there's no excuse for it. I'm a complete failure in this regard. And I've always actually wanted to cover one of these. But I don't know if it – like I don't know if this weekend always falls on the first week of NFL football. I don't know. It's it's also in a weird – like we don't think about basketball usually in the month of – September, which is actually why they do it, to be honest, because schedules usually are usually most, you know, people can be accommodated at this time of year. But eventually at one point, I do want to get there and cover a a Hall of Fame induction ceremony. This would have been a good year. I just uh, I missed it.
0: The only thing I'm just uh, was troubled by with this Hall of Fame class is
1: uh, and Devin Downey was snubbed again. I know, man. Well, listen, you got to give it time. okay? I I don't know if he's technically been retired for five years, because if you're a player, you got to be retired for five years coaches can be active, which I have no issue with by the way. Um, some people think the coaches should have to retire, but some coaches coach till seventy four and die at seventy six so they should have the <laughs> they should have the ability uh, and the experience of getting into a hall of fame if there's no real timeline on their on their retirement What do you think about that i'm fine. yeah i 'm fine with it like whatever
0: but put, I, like I, you know, if you wanted to put uh, uh LeBron James in the Hall of Fame right now, it'd be fine with me. Like I don't, I don't really, yeah. Yeah, Like I don't, like I don't care. I don't. I'm yeah, not the. No, I, I'm not the guy that gets too caught up in that. But for the for if for a variety of reasons, but certainly for the reason you stated, like if a coach already has a Hall of Fame career and he could coach until he dies, like why not let him enjoy that? Like this is a special weekend for Tom Izzo, um, and like um, God, like I, you know his father passed. This past December, like, what if it could have come a year earlier? Like, his dad would have got to experience that in theory. So, um, yeah, once you can establish a guy's already got, particularly a coach already has a Hall of Fame career, if you want to induct him to the Hall of Fame, I got no problem with that. If you want to do a five-year waiting period for players, that's fine because players are going to retire by thirty-five, thirty-eight, whatever. They'll still be in their forties when they're able to be inducted. Shaq and Iverson being an obvious examples. So, I'm fine with the uh, with the way they do it. I would just prefer to. Um, I just think Devin Downey should get a spot no matter what and no matter when. Did you see the uh, South, the columnist in South Carolina? Oh, yeah, man. Wrote a column saying it's time to retire Devin Downey's number at South Carolina. I can't get more behind that cost.
1: That- I couldn't get more. I mean, listen, if that ha- – listen, if, first of all, it needs to happen.
0: And when should, it does should, happen – Should
1: we go? Oh, not only will we go, okay. <laughs> when that happens, we're going to go. We're going to do – a three man in person podcast with Devin Downey. That is okay. that
0: is guaranteed. If Devin Downey's n- number is retired at South Carolina, I will go to the retirement ceremony and we will do a three man podcast with Devin Downey. Shout out to Devin Downey forever.
1: Forever, man. Uh, that was too good that, uh, listen, I got to be honest. I didn't realize this was a hot topic, a burning issue. I loved it. I like somebody, I like, I
0: couldn't like, I must've had 15 people send me the column and they were like, so, dude, look at this. And I was so excited to read it. And, uh, yeah, I can't get more. Listen, if there's anything I want to happen in college basketball this year, it's, it's Devin Downey's number to be retired. Make that happen. Frank Martin, whoever has to make that happen in South Carolina, uh, make it happen The young man deserves it
1: he He does now before we wrap up here just a couple quick things i got a I got a son fortunately who's still who's still taking a nap here so i think i got a couple minutes um one um tim tebow's going to your mets i mean that's
0: no no he's going to instructional league he's never he's never going to be a new york met i don't think but it's a fun story like i'm i can't wait to do a radio Would you
1: ironically wear a tim tebow t-shirt like you know, I, with with d- Tebow on the back and you know wh- dude, whatever what, number on the front. I would you know? wear it
0: proudly. What are you talking about? Okay. Ironically,
1: I would wear it today.
0: Um, yes, I, I I've I've already got my Degrom, and I've got my syndicard. Okay, that,
1: that, you can't, you can't, you're, you're putting them in the same conversation, the same sentence. That's not what are you doing, here? dude? DeGrom I want.
0: I will own a Tebow jersey. A Tebow New York Mets jersey, shirt. yeah, I like that. Hundred okay. percent, I will own one of those as soon as they make them available. can't wait for that.
1: Okay, uh, so you are obviously a big Mets fan. Now the NFL starts tonight. Um, let me let, actually, me let me let me ask you this because I'm okay. I'm getting ready to do a radio show about this, and
0: okay. I, I'm fascinated because when the story breaks, uh, well, first off, when the story breaks that Tim Tebow is going to play baseball, like people just mock it, and I get if you're mocking it from the perspective of he's never going to get to the major leagues because, like, I, I think that's the safest bet you could probably make um, like trying to be a 29 year old who hasn't played baseball since high school and then get to the major leagues at a time when most players skills start to decline to the extent that you have skills like it's, it's never been done before. All right. So it, it, I'd bet against it here. If you were a pitcher, you know, I'd be a little more optimistic because if you've got an arm, you've got an arm like, you know, guys, guys can, Step away from baseball for three years. If you still got a live arm and a great arm, you can throw. Like Jacob Degrom played, I think, shortstop in college, then threw then threw eighty innings at Stetson, and the Mets drafted him in, like the fifth round, and he's in the Rookie of the Year, and he's a frontline yeah. starter now. Just because like they, they they noticed the arm, and they said, okay, we're gonna try to make this into a pitcher. So if he had the arm, um, it's just it's. It, it, I would say, okay, like if you know if he's if he's hitting the upper nineties, and like we'll see, but. You know, like trying to hit a baseball is hard, hard, hard. And I'll be frankly shocked if he can ever do it at a level high enough to get him even to AAA. So I don't think he'll ever be a member of the New York Mets. So if you want to mock it from that perspective, I get it. Here's the part I don't understand. People act like he's somehow doing something wrong. Like he's chasing publicity. He's chasing cameras without recognizing Tim Tebow has publicity and cameras no matter what he does. Like, he played in the FedEx St. Jude Classic Pro-Am a few years ago, and there were, like, high-level, like, frontline golfers here. Roy McElroy, people like. Tim Tebow was the biggest draw by far. People didn't care about any of the golfers. Like, it was all Tim Tebow. And this was after he had left Florida. I want to say after he had already left Denver. He was the biggest draw by the. Like, Urban Meyer was there, biggest draw by a wide margin. Tim Tebow is a star no matter what he does. He doesn't need to go play minor league baseball to keep people's attention. And beyond that, from a very, like, simple place. He's a guy who is 29 years old. He's single and he has no children and he has lots of money. Uh, My point being, he's not obligated to give his time to any wife or partner. He's not obligated to get, you know, to like, well, you can't go chase this dream because you got kids, man. You need to be home with your kids. Like he's, he's tied to nothing and he doesn't have to work a real job to pay his bills because he's, he's worth millions of dollars already. If you're worth millions of dollars already, in other words, you don't need to earn a real paycheck right now, and you're not your time's not obligated to any other person on this planet. You're not you're unmarried without children. What's the like? Why not chase your dreams? Like like, what is the problem with that?
1: Um, I personally don't have an issue with it, but I think people have a problem with it because he's so transparently, clearly doesn't. He's not trying this at. 22 23 he's trying it more than a decade removed from high school baseball where he didn't even play as a senior and people know that he has to know that the odds are just so minuscule you combine that with the fact that his pro day uh, coincided with a new huge sponsorship from Adidas so people have some cynicism there apparently he has a book coming out in a couple of months and so this could all be just ways of ramping up his like don't get me wrong it's tebow is a star and no matter what like people are going to care what he does but there has undeniably been a huge uptick in the national discussion and recognition of tim tebow than if he had just remained an analyst on the sec network we've talked about him more so this is like there's no way this doesn't have a huge impact on book sales adidas got a little bit of a bump uh granted there some of it was <laughs> negative given uh how people just so clearly saw through that so i think that's why people have an issue I, with, I, there's, I, there's, I, there's like there's no way tim t was not a dumb guy like right. there's no way he he realizes like even if he wants to do this like it, there's he knows what he's up against there and if he wants to go slum it out in the minors for three years like he can do that but people have also brought up and i think this is a valid case like For so long, Tim Tebow said, like, you know, football is my first love, and he still maintains that it is, but he didn't love it enough to say, okay, I'll suck it up. I won't play QB anymore because people – there are plenty of reputable NFL people that say if Tim Tebow, like – Really loved football. He is athletic enough where he could make it as a fullback, perhaps as a tight end. Like he, you could find ways to use him on an NFL team, or he could simply give it a go in Canada and try that as well. He simply refused to do that. So there is, I think, a stubborn angle to it. And I can't believe that I'm actually engaging in a Tim Tebow topic on this podcast. Because I'll be honest, like, now that I'm talking about it, I guess it's fine. But I, at a certain point, there is so much Tebow content that I just I just kind of have blocked it out because it's just been like, it's been a thing now. Right. GP. For, this, for a this long has time. A, forever. For, like, well, I uh, actually enjoyed Tebow at Florida and thought he was interesting. And I thought, okay, we'll see what he does in the NFL. But this has become like this bizarre well, thing in American sports culture where people just love to, to debate about Tim Tebow. And I got to be honest, like, on a personal level, like, I kind of find the dude boring. I don't quite get his massive appeal. I understand it, but I don't, quite get it i guess
0: well i i think i could tap into that a little bit he well first off to your initial point he's 29 years old he's been a star since he was 18 years old it's been more than a decade that tim tebow has been a thing in this country all right yeah like more okay i think where the how this stardom emerges is you had people constantly pulling from total extremes one is you had people who couldn't wait to tell you how he was overrated and never going to be a pro quarterback. Like, that conversation started when he was in college. Yeah, be like, but he'll never be a pro quarterback. He's a system guy. Can't play in the NFL. Boom, 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 boom. Then he played in the NFL. And, like, people forget this, but, like, he did win a playoff game. Threw for 300 yards and won a playoff game. And and people immediately go, that the other side of it, want to go, see, you were wrong. And they want to scream in that direction. And then he... You know, they, they sign Peyton Manning. He gets released. He can't ever play. It never happens anywhere else. So then that other crowd, the initial crowd, wants to start yelling, See, you guys were idiots. Here's your Tebow. He can't play, just like I told you the whole time. And then you add in the religious aspect of it. um Because, like, he really has. I think that following is rooted in. Uh, the intense following is rooted in, like, he's a, a very visible and, uh, you know,. It, Public Christian who isn't afraid to um, to share his beliefs, and and yeah. and, and people have, who have really latched onto that. Um, he is massive in the Christian community. Ma- like I, I would say, one of the most in, like large, biggest figures in the Christian community in, in this country. And so you combine all that stuff and put it in a pot, and mix it up. What you get is a decade of Tim Tebow fights. We've really been fighting about Tim Tebow um, uh, forever so here we are again like it, it we are on the start today is the st- opening day of the nfl season and the biggest story is tim tebow think about that <laughs> think about that that's where we're at right now and i will say Uh-oh. everything you said about why people might be turned off by i accept all of it you're right on every bit of it i i guess i would just counter it by saying i don't be- i believe his desire to do this is rooted in a sincere place i, I think he really just wants to try to do this um and I, 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 think,
1: I, I would agree, but I think he just knows the game. There's just right. no way there isn't a certain level of marketing and vanity to it as well. And I, will, I, think, I, I think you're going to have two of those things at the same time.
0: And I will say this, um, if you want to add into the like, sort of roll-your-eyes aspect of it. Uh, he signed with the New York Mets, who employ Johannes Cespedes. They have the same agent. Cespedes, okay. and, Cespedes and Tebow have the same agent. Now, for people who don't follow this stuff very closely, Cespedes is like the star in the middle of the Mets lineup. Like, he is the reason they're probably about to, you know, get a wild-card berth. He's the reason they went to the World Series last year. And um, he signed a three-year, $75 million contract last offseason, but he can opt out after every year. So if you wanted to be cynical, you could say CAA, you know, like sort of with a wink to the New York Mets, take care of our guy here. Give him a chance. We don't need any promises. Just give him a chance, a real chance, and we can help you uh, when it's this time to decide whether to opt out or not. Maybe he won't opt out if you do us. If you do us, uh, you know, you do us a, a, a favor here. Maybe we could do you a favor down the road. Like that stuff. I'm not saying that's what happened here, but like they do share the same agent, and people who share the same agents, like sure. this, this stuff, like the big story in basketball was Tristan Thompson and LeBron James like share the same agent, and yep. so LeBron would hold out until Tristan got what he wanted, and it was just sort of understood. Um, take care of take care of Tristan, and we'll, you know, then you don't have to worry about LeBron and all that stuff. This stuff goes on all the time. I'm not saying it went on here, but that is something else that uh, certainly if you wanted to roll your eyes at the whole thing, you could. But either way, I'm down with it. Tim Tebow, go to the major leagues as far as I'm concerned, although I would bet everything I own against it, if only because I would bet against every 29-year-old on the planet who's never – uh, who hasn't played basketball since? I mean, baseball since his junior high school. I bet against them making it blindly.
1: Yeah. All right, we got to wrap up. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring listeners into my world here. So uh, my son is definitely awake now. I'm upstairs and he he was <laughs> sleeping downstairs on this. We got this thing called a docketot, which is pretty good. But he can crawl. He can practically walk now. So about two minutes ago, as you're going through your Tebow thing, I hear this weird noise, and I'm like, what is that noise? And I'm like, is someone doing something outside? No. What it is is. Our dog's aluminum water bowl perish. So we, we put up this gate to block our kitchen so we can't crawl in there. But he loves going in the kitchen. He just loves playing the crawl in the kitchen because he knows he, he's not supposed to go in there. But I've got to tell you, it's got to be 50. I, I put the water bottle down for my dog before we did this thing because, you know, she might be thirsty or whatever. And I forgot to put the gate up. He has crawled in and knocked over that water bowl. I mean, he's probably soaking wet right now. There's water all <laughs> over my kitchen floor. This is ha- I'm GP. This has happened at least 15 times in the past two months. Like it keeps happening. I keep forgetting, or my wife keeps forgetting, if we're gonna keep the gate open, we gotta put the bo- water bowl off the floor. Like I can hear him knocking around that bowl right now. Oh no. So this is an amazing way to wrap up the podcast. I'm gonna go have to take care of him <laughs> before we upload it. It just keeps. I mean, you've got children. People listening with kids know. It. Like there's just, it's a mistake that I. I it's Groundhog Day. I keep doing this. I can't believe this happened again right now.
0: All right. Well, listen. You go take care of that, and I'm going to, uh, I don't know, go do something other than mess around. Try with not to have balls. your kid lose
1: your phone again or something like that. Okay?
0: That's, uh, oh, God, well, I found my phone, by the way.
1: Oh, Of course you did. No, Where you, was it?
0: This is so ridiculous. I'm embarrassed to even say it. Under the couch cushion.
1: How, how do you not even find it there, Parrish?
0: Well, that's the thing. Like That's the first place you're supposed to look. That's the first place everybody tells you to look. Like just look under the did you, did you check the couch cushions? Uh, I was like, uh, it never occurred to me to check the couch cushions, which is just ridiculous, right?
1: This dude loses his and phone and of course, can't find it for and four of course, days, orders a new phone. Of course, you did. I found
0: it. I found it the day after my new phone came in, and
1: it was under the couch cushions.
0: Just now I, I blame our house cleaner a little bit. <laughs> Let's don't go
1: there. Yeah, and here's zero one. sympathy from any reader right now when you drop <laughs> the words I blame our house cleaner.
0: Listen, because first off, clean clean underneath the cushions, all right? But but beyond that, um so she came here the like the day after I lost my phone and I said, "Hey, listen, if you just see my phone anywhere, could you just like be on the lookout for it cuz I can't find it anywhere." And I swear to god, she said these words exactly. "When I get, when I get into the den, I'll make sure to look under the cushions." And and then and then, my wife found it three days later under the cushions in the den. That means she did not look under the cushions. She lied to me, Norlander. You okay. got a lying. You think you got problems? I've got a lying house
1: cleaner. All right, he's he's like <laughs> he's throwing this bowl around like go. Oh at. my gosh! All right.
0: remember subscribe to the Iron College Basketball Podcast on iTunes this is the best way to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible after Norlander cleans up water balls. Do that thank you for listening talk to you again next week till then take care bye bye